0: to episode 31 of the real talk podcast uh, we're joined today by mp arnold Pearson. very uh, happy to have him on the show and we're gonna be chatting about quite a number of things uh you know i guess we'll get him to start with who he is and, and what he's been up to and then we'll kind of go into some of the work he's been doing and, and what to make of politics these days and we'll hit some fun grab bag stuff at the end but for now uh arnold thanks for joining us and f- feel free to tell us a bit about
1: yourself all right well thank you and thanks for having me on real talk i've been uh been following this show since its conception and so i, uh, yeah. I what uh, are
0: we are we passed the nine month mark yeah i guess we've been, been born yeah. at this point yeah you're born now okay yeah. Yeah. we have well, uh, legal protection Woohoo! Uh... <laughs>
1: yeah. Full, full disclosure uh lucas uh, worked with me in ottawa for a little while so that's how i got to know him I like Mm. like to think that I plucked him from the wilderness and turned him into the man he is today, but (laughs) I'm sure his parents have much more to do with that than than I do. (laughs) I'll
0: give you some credit. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Maybe cut
1: my hair at least. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, put some pants on. You showed up shorts all the time the first time. Yeah, that's true. So we were like, yeah, Parliament Hill, you got to wear pants every now and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: It's true. Maybe a
1: professional. Yeah, we don't have a dress code anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so um, like you said, my name is Arnold Beerson. I'm a member of parliament for a big chunk of northern Alberta. So basically the top half of Alberta is three federal ridings. Uh, Fort McMurray kind of on one side and then Grand Prairie on the other side. And then the big piece in the centre without any major major cities in it is uh, is the part that I get to represent. So I'm uh, born and raised up in northern Alberta. I'm from a little community called Neerlandia. I, I imagine many of your listeners have heard of that place. It's a sprawling mm-hmm. metropolis of uh, 30 houses. Yeah, and, it's uh, got a
0: co-op or something too.
1: Yeah. We've got the biggest co-op in the world, I like to think. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, and I went to, I went to independent Christian school, uh, Canadian reform school in, uh, in Irlandia, uh, kindergarten, grade 12, graduated from there. I, then I went off to, well, I was, uh, since I was three years old, I wanted to be an auto mechanic. And so when I was 15, I started washing cars at the local Chrysler dealer. And then got a, got signed up for an automotive apprenticeship. So I was a mechanic. Essentially, nice. um, my friends always say to me, Arnold, uh, there isn't a wrench big enough to fix Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah. I said, well, we got to try, you know, yeah. Yeah. So send, send a mechanic to, to Ottawa. Maybe maybe they can fix it, you know. That's, yeah, that's uh, great. That was kind of the pitch. And so, yeah, it's uh, um, went to went to Nate, the Northern Institute of Techno Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. And that's where I did my mechanics training uh got my ticket and then decided that i should go to business school so moved to the fraser valley and i lived in abbotsford for a few years and went to the university of fraser valley there in abbotsford and got a business degree from there Hmm. that's kind of my training background Uh, i came back home to alberta after university I, i i very much enjoyed my time in uh in the Fraser Valley, the, the church community in Fraser Valley is it, there's several churches within an hour drive kind of thing. Right. So, yep. um, the ring cring I don't, I think they do something similar like that in Niagara region, right? Like get all the young people's groups together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hearts on fire. Church. I think Ro- they roots call it was roots. what it was when
2: back
3: when I was a little, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> so in the Fraser Valley, they call it ring Kring. And so you get like, 300 kids together for a young people's event. I think it was once every three months or something like that. So oh, cool. I, okay. I enjoyed participating in that. And I got to know like a lot of people down, down in the Fraser Valley. And they, the other thing, uh, Niagara, I noticed that about Niagara as well is this, there's a church event, like at least once a week, right? Like uh, some, some speaker coming in oh, or yeah. something like that. Whereas, whereas when you're uh, where we are at there, we've three churches kind of, in fairly close proximity, but the, we're kind of isolated from the broader Federation, so to speak. Mm. So to get get a professor out from the theological college or to come and speak, that's kind of a big deal. right. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Those guys are just yeah. walking around in our uh, backyard. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so in the Fraser Valley, there was little more of that uh, yeah. kind of thing. So there was, uh, I remember Professor uh, Vischer, uh, who was the former um, uh principal there. He came out yeah. and did a whole seminar. It was a kind of date me, I guess, or seminar speech on federal vision. Um, that kind of, I don't know if you've ever touched on that. And you guys are maybe even too young to even yeah. been part of that whole debate. But um, yeah, yeah well, that was blanking blank was, and
0: heard was, on that one. Yeah. It was like related yeah. to the federal government or like the federation
1: of churches. Well, it had to do with just like the um, yeah, the federal vision, it was a big controversy, probably around the year 2000. And by, um, maybe even a little bit later, I went to university in like 2008 and that was probably the kind of the tail end of the, you know, it had to do with like the view of the covenant, um, and, and what is the, what is the corporate or federal, um, view of church, right? So that was the, the federal vision of church, right? So you have like your individual relationship with God, but then there's god has a relationship with his church and so what is the view federal the federal vision so what's the the view of the church going out into the world and so that's where that term came from federal vision (laughs) Um, but then it it was like so poorly defined that it kind of went off in all different directions and became this big controversy because some people said oh it was this and other people said it was that and then Pedo communion came in with that as well so like kids kids going to the lord's supper Got, right, It got conflated with that. And so it, it was, it was interesting, but yeah, I remember that was part of my university era, I suppose. Interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. and so you moved yeah. back from Nearlandia or back to Nearlandia after you were in the Fraser Valley? Yeah, so I uh, got a business degree in the University of Fraser Valley, and then I moved back to Alberta, because Alberta is a promised land. Uh, and milk and Honey, yes, we know. Yeah. We're not there yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. you, you, you should tell that story <laughs> while we try to get the name changed.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, no. <laughs> yeah so... I I always tell people, like, whenever they show up here, I welcome them to the promised land and they say, ha, ha, ha. I said, no, I'm serious. Like, uh, we're the honey capital of Canada, Northern Alberta. Um, About half the honey that gets exported from Canada comes from Northern Alberta. And we got 7,500 dairy animals. So it's literally flowing with milk and honey. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So when I worked for him, we tried to get the name officially changed in Parliament to the the promised land, I believe it was. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to change the riding name to the promised land. Oh, that's pretty good.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty wordy at this point. Right? Was it? Yeah. Peace, oh. peace River, peace Westlock. Yeah. yeah.
1: The promised land yeah, is way p- easier to remember. The best part about that would be is that then I would be the member of parliament for the promised land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could put that on my ti- on my business card. Yeah. It like it was, right. so, yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: Which could be true yeah. anyway. So what's what prevented you from starting a uh, chain of j- Jiffy Lubes and what made you go into politics? Well,
1: the uh, yeah. So I come back from university moved back to Alberta and I was working at a boat dealership at the time. I was being the parts and service manager at a boat dealership and I lived uh, with my future brother-in-law. Now he's my brother-in-law, but then he was my future brother-in-law. because I was, I was engaged to his sister and we, he was my roommate. And there was a thing in the bulletin, uh, church bulletin. It was like, uh, some guy named Mark Penninga was going to be at church on Wednesday night Doing a presentation about this new organization called ARPA. This was 2010. And uh, so uh, I said, I convinced my brother-in-law that we should go make the 50 kilometer drive to church and go check this thing out that evening. And so we drove there and we met Mark Penning and there, we like looked around the room and there was like six of us there. We no, there. Uh... And Mark says, Mark says, yeah, we're uh, we're thinking about uh, we're trying to set up these ARPA chapters across the country, and we we like to have a board in in every kind of like location, and a, and a nice board size is seven people, and there's six of you, so I I think that you guys will be the the ARPA board for this area. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Very positive I like it. Yeah. 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 So there we were. Before I knew what happened, we were all told to be the ARPA board for Edmonton. Uh, so that was kind of my introduction to, to politics. I'd always kind of been interested in politics, but never really participated in any fashion. And so that was 2010. Uh, so I think we hosted, we organized a God in government conference in Edmonton the uh, following year. Uh, and then I moved back to Newlandia. Uh, and then I got on the Nirlandia ARPA board as well. And we put up bus signs and big signs on the side of the highway and stuff like that. And I got to meet a bunch of MLAs. And then we went, I think it was 2013. We went to my wife and I went to garden government in Ottawa. And so that's when I, I met a bunch of MPs. I met Chris Warkington, who's the MP for Grand Prairie. Um, and the, in 2013, what also happened was they redistricted all the, ridings so where i uh where i lived uh, became this new riding called peace river westlock and there was no mp for the area it was a brand new alberta got six new ridings in 2013. oh wow and this was a brand new one and so i seen that as a big opportunity in the fact that we weren't going to have to be battling an incumbent of any sort there was just going to be whoever's going to build the infrastructure would likely be the person so that that i seen that as an opportunity plus ARPA had introduced me to a number of members of parliament and things. So I got to know a few people got, I had people anyways that I could ask questions about like, mm. Hey, how does this work or how does that work? And, uh, so with ARPA's big thing was always like, have a relationship with your, your members of parliament, or your MLAs. Right. And so I just thought, well, likely if you have a relationship before they get elected, you're likely to have more influence than if you try to gain that relationship after they get elected. Mm -hmm, So I, so I thought, well, we should just try to recruit the MP. And so I was 27 at the time. I thought MPs are way older than that, right? Like 27, no one that gets elected at 27, that doesn't. uh, So I I approached some people that I knew that I thought would be good for it. And uh, three guys in particular, and one, one, told me that I was straight up nuts. Like there was no way he was ever going to do that. The other one was like, had six kids and was like, "Uh, yeah, it's like, that'd be fun. But I got six kids at home and I don't think I can do all the travel. And the third guy had just bought a new business. And it was like, he was like a year into managing his new business. And he's like, well, it's just starting to get my feet under me with this. And if I take my foot off the gas for a moment, the business will disappear. And I won't be able to put the efforts into being a Pursuing being the member of parliament, so, but all three of them were like, "All right, Arnold, you think this is a great idea? Uh, Why don't you do it? <laughs> <So, laughs> Why not?" Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. They, I remember. The other thing was is, uh, you guys also probably don't realize this, but YouTube didn't always exist. Oh yeah, no. it was crazy. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> I know. I know. So YouTube was like kind of a new thing. Like, it came out in like two thousand and seven. Something like that. Um, But um, I think I discovered it. I don't exactly remember when I discovered YouTube, but I do know that when I moved back, back to Alberta, that's kind of when YouTube was kind of coming into its own. And there was a fella from Chilliwack, uh, BC, and he had like this um, gun channel telling us all about like the crazy laws around the guns in here in Canada. Rod Giltaka was his name. And uh, one of the guys I worked with at the, at the mechanic shop there, he was like a big gun enthusiast. And so he, we would watch this channel at, on YouTube at our, during our lunch breaks. And then I was bugging him and I said, well, like we should do something about this. We should try to change the laws. And, and he's like, oh yeah, but how can you, you can never do anything about it. It's all corrupt and all this kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> and so I said, well, like, like let's 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 run, let's go, right? I said, I'll I'll run and we'll we'll try to make a difference on this. You buy a membership to the Conservative Party, and and we'll we'll go try choose the choose a guy that's good on guns, right? And I betcha he he was kind of like my test case. It was like if I could sell him a membership, I could probably sell anybody a membership. So I harassed him every lunch hour for three months to buy a Conservative Party membership, <laughs> and eventually he did buy a Conservative Party membership. And then after I got elected, he says, yeah, Arnold, I only bought that membership just to get you to quit harass, or like just to get you to stop harassing me. <laughs> <'cause>, uh, <laughs> so we can't. wheel gets
0: the grease even at the mechanic I never, shop.
1: I never thought for a minute that you'd ever get there. So now he's convinced I'm going to be the prime minister because uh, uh, if if I could be the MP, the next thing is just be the Prime Minister. You know? Oh yeah, it's <laughs> easy. No big deal. No yeah. big deal. Yeah, like, you did that so easy last time, Arnold. You can do that again, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they'll There's open up a happen. new riding
3: for the Prime Minister. You just slip right in there. No, you don't. Yeah, yeah. So-
1: <laughs> yeah, but they like the for the nomination. Like the reform community helped me out immensely. Right? Like, um, well, be, being born and raised in the area helps a lot you just know a thousand people right off the get-go but um convincing them all to buy a membership and that this is a worthwhile endeavor is is maybe a bit more of a challenge but uh yeah they they came out and many of them drove like 100 120 kilometers to come vote in my nomination which is um like more than anybody could should actually be asked to do but they did so it was amazing yeah, yeah, it's quite We're, the support.
0: I mean, we've driven it together. It's what, like eight hours bottom to bottom to top, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a good so. way. Cool. So, I, so, you've been in uh, office since 2015, then. Um, yeah. We can get into yeah. some of the stuff you're doing in Ottawa, but maybe first, it's the summertime. And I don't know how much folks know about what the job of an MP all entails, but what exactly do you, uh, do you get up to in the summer? Are you traveling around or what's going on?
1: Yeah. So uh, typically, so COVID is kind of throwing everything topsy-turvy, but typically it's a lot of uh, parades and, and rodeos and public events that I make an appearance at. Um, so that'll keep me moving and moving around the, the riding. Um, and the other thing is, is you like parliament, parliament sits for about half of the year. And then the other half of the year, we basically are trying to get, get ready for the other half of the year. So um a lot of times I end up meeting with on my for example, my private member's bill, I try to find all the people in the country that care about this issue and would support support the issue. And so you you end up setting up meetings with interested groups that would like five, 10 people at a time mm. to try to get enlist their support for that. Um, idea and then also to get them to vote for you in the upcoming election to support your ideas in the upcoming election and so that's what members of parliament are typically doing is is finding finding the support and then and trying to motivate it to show up to vote in the election whenever that happens to be Hmm. Um, uh, in a four-year parliament uh, some of that pressure comes off of course uh, but in a minority parliament it's pretty much like all the time trying to trying to find the the people that are going to support you and, and motivating them to to show up in a possible election, whenever that happens. Um, so, uh, yeah, the public events are one way of doing that, but then, um, like tomorrow I'll, I'll be meeting with, uh, two of the local, uh, women's advocacy groups in the area. Um, hmm. just outlining the work that I've been doing and and asking them to, to support it and, uh, and seeing what I, where there's needs to be changes in the laws that, uh, to support them. So th- that's kind of, kind of the thing. So, hmm. and, and I also, during the summer, I also try to take a bit of a break. Um, so we went camping for three days last week and I'm going to visit my siblings out in BC, uh, this weekend. So we'll, uh, we do a little bit of holidaying as well. Nice. Really? That
0: uh, sounds fun. So, uh, sounds like a bit of a, like. Would you say it's a fifty-fifty balance between the riding in Ottawa, or uh, is it more different? Is it different than that?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 I don't, I don't category categorize it quite like that. I guess it's like it's an interesting. There, yeah. There's five thousand people in the history of our country that have been members of Parliament. Uh, so it's a very rare and odd thing. Um, it's kind of an all the time it's a 24 seven thing. Like you're always thinking about what's the next thing where, how can I change this? How can I push that? You wake up in the middle of the night and write your speech. Cause you suddenly had a <laughs> a, a good idea on it. Right. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of thing that happens. Ah, it's probably the same as like any small business owner as well, but um, that that's the reality of it. And you end up, mm like everywhere you go, people want to talk politics. So you better like talking politics. if you're, Yeah. If you're in politics. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense.
0: How, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of, I guess, for people listening to this and if they want to get involved that sort of thing, like if they want to do what yeah. you did run, what's, uh, what's it been like from a family point of view? Cause you have a young family, you got four yeah. and now fifth one on the way.
1: Fifth one showing up in uh month. Very cool. So, very yeah. cool. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Beginning of the sub- first week of September, new one's supposed to be. number five yeah so I've got uh I got four children um Aaliyah is nine years old and Celia's seven and um, Jill's four and Dan is two and so really? the new baby my wife knows what gender the new baby is gonna be but I don't I know. know yet yeah. I like the surprise you know yeah. so
0: yeah I didn't take you for a gender reveal party kind of guy so. no no no, I, no. Oh, yeah so <laughs> yeah. so
1: she's uh <laughs> So yeah, we're we're looking forward to that. Uh yeah, we went into this with both eyes open. Um one of the, one of the things was when I uh got engaged in all of this and decided to run, um uh, before part of that decision making was um writing down a what I was hoping to accomplish with it and B um having my wife on board and giving me uh like the permission to run. And so I uh yeah, I actually had her sign sign the piece of paper so that it was like a definite, like definitive thing that we we both like. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. She she signed it. She had to put her name to it, kind of thing, so that uh, we both were were good with the idea. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, she's she's kind of a single mom for half the year, right? Twenty seven mm. weeks a year, uh, where I'm not home for three of the nights of that week, kind of thing, right? So yeah, yeah, usually. Usually fly out Monday morning, really early, get on the airplane at uh, like two in the morning on Monday morning. And uh, then I usually get home again, usually on like Friday morning at two or three in the morning or, or even Saturday morning kind of thing, depending. So about, I got to be in Ottawa 27 weeks of the year and probably four or five of those weeks. I got to be there for Friday as well. Yeah. Um, So Yeah. So that's that's kinda how it is. COVID COVID has been good. <laughs> yeah, that uh, way. Yeah. Ironically, for that is uh like a lot of stuff happens on Zoom, so you're not not driving everywhere. So bit been, mm. been home much more. Um, but yeah, that's uh Yeah, that's it.
2: It's a big lifestyle like,
1: change. Big. Yeah.
3: If you you know, if you're used to being at home all the time. Yeah. A, yeah. It's not something you want to be like, oh well you said it would probably be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
2: exactly
3: <laughs> but so yeah maybe we can talk about uh, what's going on in ottawa i mean i know like there's tons and tons of issues we talked to ryan Manns not too long ago he's the what is the ontario, ontario manager uh, manager ontario manager of arpa yeah um so we just talked some like high level like you know some of the issues that are going on and stuff like that but
0: maybe we can get a little bit more into the nitty-gritty yeah like you have so, a private members bill right so maybe explain yeah. what's going on there um yeah what's what's the future of that where is it kind of sitting right now and uh, we'll go from there
1: yeah so i got a prime members bill uh bill uh c302 uh which is calling for the, the government to make well it would make a change to the criminal code essentially uh so currently it is illegal uh to post Uh, Non-consensual content, so that's like it's kind of considered like the revenge revenge porn. Uh, That's what the title of the former bill was. So it's illegal to post uh, non-consensual content, and it's also illegal to post underage content um, on on adult websites or or it's it's called CSAM. It's child abuse, child sexual abuse material is what that's called, Um, and so it both underage and non-consensual content uh, is illegal. But you, I hope you're, the folks that listen to this have heard about this company called Pornhub. Uh, it's the biggest porn company in the world based out of Montreal. And there was some serious abuses around uh, adult content and not, not having the age verified of the, of the so-called actors in there. And also that non-consensual images were showing up on there as well. And so uh, we'd kind of called this to attention to to the government and said, like, hey, this appears to be illegal. Um, What are you guys doing about it? And the government just kind of ignored us. We wrote a letter way back in um, March of 2020, outlining this possible abuses on on Pornhub. Uh, Nothing happened. Then we wrote another one in November of 2020. And again, the government didn't respond to that, but the New York Times had an article called The Children of Pornhub. Um, they had a New York Times mm-hmm. article. And then like two days later, the prime minister was being asked about, about this uh, at his morning uh, press conferences. So that really like shifted the sands. And so um, my bill would address the the abuse of both the non-consensual images that showed up on Pornhub and also the underage images, both of which are illegal, but it appears that it's like too odious for the police to prosecute. So particularly underage, uh, uh, if they're three, four, five, that's easy to prosecute because it's easy to identify that they're underage. But it's when they're 13, 14, 15, where it becomes more of a, more difficult. So Bill 302 would, what it does is it demands uh, documentation. So you need to have mm-hmm. documented age verification and documented consent. And if you don't ha- if you can't produce those, it's a criminal violation. So if even if it isn't underage or even if it isn't con- or if it is consensual, so she's 25 and she's consenting to this. If you don't have the documentation to prove both of those points, you'll still be found criminally responsible. So that's what Bill C three hundred two would do. Hmm. Okay, so it puts a, yeah it puts a heavier
0: burden on. I guess what would you call them? The employer or the company? Like point yeah. out to, yeah. To it basically, actually, yeah.
1: basically what it does is it flips the onus from the police having to prove that she's underage and that she's not consenting, and it provide it says the companies have to prove that she is consenting and that she is of age, <laughs> right. and they have to provide right. the documentation for it. So it yeah. just flips the onus from the police to the to the company. Okay. Um, Corporate responsibility measure, essentially. Yeah.
0: And and how has the uh, bill been received? Like, I know you have a, um, I believe it was a committee or like a group, uh, like an alliance against uh, sex trafficking and whatnot. Have the other parties jumped on board with this? What's the response been?
1: Yeah. So the, my, my bill is not sponsored. So what you're talking about is the all party group uh, to end modern day slavery and human trafficking. Um, of which I'm a co-chair of that. So we have uh, a Liberal co-chair, NDP co-chair, and uh, independent senator, and uh, bloc block co-chair. And uh, so we we do move initiatives through with that um, that group. The more, most success, biggest success we've had with that so far is declaring uh, February 22nd the National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Um, so I there. And we are also working together on a bill that would um, demand supply chain reporting. so companies, if they're getting uh, if they're of a certain size or of a certain dollar amount that they turn over every year or of a certain number of employees, they would have to bring a report saying, "Hey, this is how we think that our company may be impacted by human trafficking, and here are mm-hmm. things we're doing to mitigate that um, the u k and uh California already have this kind of reporting mechanism in place and so bring Canada in alignment with that and so that's an initiative of the all party group my bill is not an initiative of the all party group although um the co-chairs are all very supportive of of what i'm up to with this uh so it's it yeah it's but we do have over 75 organizations from across the country that are really supportive of what we're doing here and um countless individuals that have signed on to support, uh, bill C
2: 302.
1: It's interesting. It's interesting. I always, I always say God has a sense of humor is so my side, my bill is about, um, dealing with everything on the screen, right? Um, everything that's coming to you from the screen, the age and consent of those people on that side of the screen. Um, Senator the independent senator who's one of the co-chairs of the old group uh julie maville shane is her name she's got a bill in the senate and it's s203 <laughs> and so it's like the reverse of mine but her bill is uh demanding age verification that companies make ensure that the age of the people watching their content mm. is proper right <clears throat> so it's the other side of the screen essentially so it's yeah. preventing it's a prevention of uh, adult content from getting in the hands of children, and that's what her bill is all about. Um, so it's hmm. uh, it's just uh, a fluke of nature. I I don't know the the two o three and three o two and how it's one <laughs> side of the screen and the other side of the screen. Yeah, uh, so yeah,
3: yeah, that's good work. I, I'm curious about that that split actually, because I mean, you get that on YouTube even, right? Like if they have some even even you know you're a hunter even hunting content sometimes is like, this might be disturbing. And you have to be like, confirm that you're 18 or over. You're like, okay. But I mean, it's just yeah. a click of a button. Anyone can click a button. So, yeah. I mean, if you if you get rid of that and actually have to send in an ID or something like that um, in order to get verified on your, your particular account or whatever, I mean, you'd have yep. to have a fake ID. And like, that's quite the mountain to get over uh, for, for some people, I guess, for, for most mm-hmm. people.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah. But I guess <laughs> on,
3: on your side of it, I mean, that's um, for a company like Pornhub to provide documentation and all the all the paperwork that would go along with that. I guess that's quite the hurdle that would um, obviously be effective. Is that going to push these um, organizations more underground, um, or are they kind of there already? Um, is that is that something that the the law enforcement will be worried about that now they just won't be able to find these people or um,
1: yes and no. So, um, I don't have like a good example around the pornography stuff, but around the prostitution, um, we, we seen back in like 2013, there was a lot of escort services being advertised on Craigslist and Craigslist made a huge amount of money off of the, those like personal ads kind of thing. Right. And uh, the the government then like said to Craigslist, hey, um, cut it out. That's not, this is illegal in Canada. You're not allowed to advertise um, for prostitution. And so Craigslist like pulled that section and they no longer have a personal section. Hmm. Um, it then moved to a, the, all those same ads moved to a new new outfit called Backpage. And and then they had a more murky um, payment structure that made it more difficult to track it, track it down again. Um, Then the the states, actually, the Americans were able to uh, shut down Backpage and and now it's moved to Leo's list, which is even murkier and harder to to track. And so, yeah, the the police are like, well, you're you are.
0: Sorry, folks, we ran into a uh, small technical difficulty there uh, with our Wi-Fi cutting out for two seconds. So we tried to clip this together as best as possible. So get you back to the program right now.
1: OK, yeah. So, so like on the prostitution side, for sure, there is like it It makes it harder to, to go after the police. Then every every time we shut down one of these Leo's lists or back page or Leo's list is still up. But um, then there's always this like moment or a couple of weeks where they have to find a new spot to put up these ads kind of thing on the internet. And then, um, if the police find it right away, that's great. If they don't, then, then it takes a little while to start rescuing girls again. Um, Mm. but uh, in the pornography world, um, the vast majority of it is, is accessed for free. Um, people aren't searching like they aren't going unless you're, unless you're getting into like, the really like child porn part of it. There's not a most of it is accessed on the open web, um, easily accessible, and mm. in many cases people aren't searching for it; they're just coming across it, kind of thing. Right. Um, that's that's the reality. And so if we if we push it further into darker corners of the internet, um, I think that will just prevent a, a large swath of people from never coming into contact. Yeah. Yeah. You,
0: yeah. You can't erase it, but you can hopefully minimize exposure. Yeah.
1: Basically. Yeah. Because there's like mm. Whether it's the deep web, the dark web, and the and the open web, or whatever, there's like the three categories. And sure. yeah, um, yeah. If if you if you keep it out of the search engines, then um, then yeah. it it becomes less likely people run across it.
3: So, yeah, I guess you're lessening demand, and then you know that's probably good yeah. across the board. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I'm interested on the um we talked about like the pornography side of it i guess but then you also mentioned a yeah. prostitution end of it um i guess i'm just curious what kind of effect it's going to have but also we you know we read a few articles of uh, people criticizing the bill of all things um even though it sounds like it's going to be a good bill that's well received you know saying that by reducing access to um or reducing sexual exploitation you're actually taking work away from sex workers as if it's a legitimate industry. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah, what kind of pushback
1: well, have you seen? They, like particularly because um, they say, well, it's another revenue stream and these kinds of things. Uh, the The reality is is that like many people that I talk to, e- even that are e- engaged in the industry, um, like Pornhub often is uh, ripping them off in terms of they they own the rights to the images and they pay them, three thousand dollars and then they never hear from them again and Pornhub goes on to make millions off of all of these videos that they they put up um and so there's there's a lot of Pornhub will buy out buy out small production companies and then let them go bankrupt and then then the, the actor has no um connection to the video anymore Pornhub owns the video but the the company that they have a contract with to get royalties from no longer exists all this kind of stuff right so there is yep. there's that aspect of it um you got the production company the smaller production companies are really frustrated because they they make a production and um Pornhub just puts it up for free basically out making so they, they're well well that's a nice theoretical idea and if you read most of those articles it's some uh, academic, some university professor that'll be making that argument. It's rarely um, people that are actually working uh, in making porn and things like that are extremely frustrated with the current system because the money all ends up with the really big guys like, like Pornhub. Um, mm. That's, mm. that's the reality. So everybody that's balking at my bill is either an academic or they're making lots of money with the current system and don't want to, don't want to have to share the money around. So it speak. Right. Yep. um, and then uh you you'll hear from like hundreds and hundreds of girls who've had their image put up there non consensually. They don't make any money off of this. Pornhub makes all the money and and they just want their life back and they want those images down off the internet. So that's yeah. What's that's the uh Trudeau government's
0: response been to this? Like I know there was some talk back earlier in the spring of um like a regulator to regulate content online or something. I don't know how that would end up working out,
1: Yeah, (laughs) but it's been, uh, yeah. So they've been promising, like basically since the New York times article broke, they've been promising this internet harms bill. Yeah. Um, so, so we had bill C 10, which was already a big overreach on, uh, freedom of speech. Then they, the same minister was going to introduce this internet harms bill, um, which after, the fiasco of C ten, everybody was convinced that yeah, the internet harms bill was gonna just be another like major crackdown on free speech. And so they've they've talked, they said they kind of like put out a trial balloon on a 24-hour takedown requirement and a bunch of other little things, but um we never did see the bill. They promised that we were gonna get the bill in January of 2021. Bill never showed up. Um and they like we've kept harassing them about it still haven't seen the bill um the latest is they seem to have because they talked about uh, a 24-hour takedown which was something that i criticized fairly dramatically because I said like girls don't want their images taken down 24 hours after they go up and after they've had a hundred thousand views they want to prevent those images from ever ending up on the internet and so um that's been like fairly widely criticized the 24 hour takedown. And so they, they seem to have kind of, they kind of stuck by that for a while, but we still said like, hey, where's this bill? When are you going to come up with the bill? And it seems like they've kind of gone back to the drawing board because just yesterday, I think they announced that they're going to do nationwide consultations um, on it, which basically me basically is telling us that they're going back to the drawing board and starting over with uh, what what that online harms bill's going to look like. So, hmm. so that's kind of in their response to this point.
0: Yeah. So does that get wrapped into some of their other efforts um it was C10 and whatnot, like of restricting like harmful speech and then also porn kind of slides in there as well or are they kind of separating those two things?
1: It, it, so internet harms um they're so they're trying to go after they so they're trying to fix the porn hub issue where your images are ending up on the internet without your consent, so that's one of the online harms. But then also like uh, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, uh, that that's all rolled up in their online harms um, thing. So that and that's gonna be um, we we've seen already with C ten that it, the the liberals try everything in their power to to swing everything and to benefit them, so to speak. Yep and so we'll see we'll see what they do with the online harms we're we're worried that um being conservative is going to be considered an online harm basically so yeah if the liberals if the liberals if the liberals get get control of that so that'll that'll be the thing to watch for but there is legitimate online harms that we got to deal with as a government but
0: yeah that'll be an interesting line for you guys to walk because on the one hand you want to support freedom of speech but on the other hand you want to Support you know these girls and those affected by porn and human trafficking. Yeah, so
1: to draw child line there, sexual, it's child sexual abuse material is not freedom of speech. It's a crime. Oh <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure, but then <laughs> like but that's just like the whole like irony is like the the law. Like we had the ethics for committee study this whole Pornhub issue for quite a while, and yeah. like it was interesting. Charlie Angus is an NDP uh, member of Parliament, uh, and him and I. Don't agree on too much but here i i was defending him on twitter um over this whole like internet harms and the pornography stuff and we're basically like this isn't speech this there's nothing this is against the law it's already against the law we don't even have to change the current law it, this is a right against the law you're not child pornography is illegal yeah right mm-hmm. non-consensual images are illegal yeah um this isn't a free speech issue um, Yeah. But, but yeah, I can see a situation where the
0: liberals try to tie the two together and make it tricky, so that the bill supports oh, yeah. what you want, but also supports what they want, and then you're, you're in yep. a dicey situation. Is that a common tactic in Canadian politics? Like that's no. kind of like the, is that? Never, the f- never heard
1: of that before. <laughs> <laughs> is,
0: that, is that like the
3: filibuster in the states where you like you're kind of just tacking? Well, that's I guess you're killing a bill by just not.
0: That's just wasting time. Cool. But they'll dump a whole bunch of stuff into a bill.
1: Yeah, right. And but you, you, have you to trying, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, they they do that kind of like with the budget and things like that too, right? They put stuff in there that we don't like, like, and then and then they'll put like funding for the fire department, right? And it's yeah. Like, yeah. And you're opposed to funding the fire department? How dare
0: he? Right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess you're, it's, right? it's, yeah. you're against butterflies and unicorns. What are you doing? That doesn't. It yeah. doesn't yeah.
3: make sense to me, that's, But yeah. yeah, I mean, oh, that's all. Yeah, it, I guess.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> Need a big wrench. <laughs> they, They always tie. They always tie like something that we like with something that we don't like and then and then demand demand yeah demand you support it for the thing that you like when there's like the thing you don't like tied to it right yeah yeah Hmm. all
0: right well that's actually a good little transition point there so yeah i guess one being the future of the bill where do you think it's going to go and then two we get into uh so we have the liberals on the one side obviously other parties in play but the Conservatives would be the official opposition and they would be on the other side. Um, We'll get into your, I guess you're going to make the case, obviously, for people to vote Conservative. But first off, is there an election coming this fall? And and what does that look like (laughs)
1: for your bill then? Yeah, so that with my bill, um, that kind of uh, the election would change, like basically wipes the slate clean. So my bill would disappear off the order paper and I'd have to reintroduce it in a future parliament if I get reelected. Um, mm. So that's the like the question of the day. If you're involved in politics is uh, when is the next federal election? So officially, the next federal election is in October, the, what third Monday in October of 2023. That's officially when we're supposed to have an election. Um, we're in a minority parliament which means that for uh, the government can fall really at any time or the prime minister can just say um, i don't have confidence that i'll be able to pass things through parliament parliament's dysfunctional and so i want a new mandate so that i can the things that i want to do i'll have i i can point back to the election and say i just won this election and i want it on this platform therefore i'm going to do this so uh that said, um, we are all anticipating an election call either this coming weekend or the weekend after. They typically call elections on Sunday because um, there's a minimum day uh, period about that. So they want the election day to land on a Monday. And so they typically call it on a on a Sunday, either a Sunday or a Monday, depending on. Uh, so uh, this week's Sunday or next week's Sunday is what we're hearing on the ground. But <laughs> who knows? If you know when the election's gonna be, please tell me. it will yeah. make my life a lot easier. Uh there's no doubt about that. The uh so yeah, and it what it looks like is like if you believe the polling, um which I think one of I want to say it was like baker I said he said I think he said that polls were good for what dogs use them for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, it's deep
1: <laughs> but if you believe the polling um yeah the Trudeau is thinks that he's got his uh he's kind of like in majority territory so he's likely to want to call an election but yeah. that said uh campaigns matter, and uh you never know until you know so uh we're ready to run uh i've we've had our election readiness done I think we've got most of our candidates in the conservative party are nominated ready to go a couple more next weekend yet. And then, uh, um, yeah, right where I'm at, we've got the money raised and the signs bought and we're, we're ready to go. So whenever this yeah. happens, it happens, I suppose. Good stuff. I guess the, the key question remains,
0: why should people vote conservative? Cause yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of frustration, I think on the ground with, with the party and definitely within, uh, at least the reform circles that we're kind of a part of so people i think people are frustrated certainly might, in part yeah. of
3: because of the COVID stuff that might be an ontario
0: problem although you know alberta <laughs> probably not exempt either yeah and then also yeah. yeah obviously like the the life issues pro-life issues um aaron O'Toole's not a pro-lifer uh, he's made that yeah. very clear he seems to be quite progressive on social issues um so yeah that presents a challenge like we we talked to jonathan uh van Maren a couple of episodes ago and he kind of made the case for um, look at your local candidate and vote for the most pro-life local candidate. Um, now that may very well be a, a CPC, a conservative party candidate, but yeah, yeah, I guess, I mean, obviously in your position, you're going to advocate for the party. So, um, yeah, feel free to make your case. Let's go from there.
1: Yeah. So I, I would just say that like, uh, the conservative party is the only party that's a, a able to, uh, take down Justin Trudeau. Um, the, the NDP aren't aren't able to um uh we are there are a number of other like right wing parties that are popping up um but uh, none of them uh, i think have the ability to win a single seat and that's what this is all about is um politics at the uh is a lot about the ideas but it's also about getting um people in those positions and so we've been uh as pro lifers and and uh I'll join Jonathan in this as well, is that as pro-lifers, we've been relatively successful since my getting to to parliament anyways. Uh, In the first parliament, when I was there, we had uh, 67 votes on a pro-life bill that came through that parliament. Uh, And then this parliament, we had Kathy Wagenthal's bill, uh, S233, the uh, gender selective abortion bill, um, which ARPA played a big role in that that bill, we got 82 votes. So out of out of 119 conservative members of parliament, 82 of them voted pro-life. Um, so the, the party is bigger than than the leader. And uh, we the, the things that we care about, I think, are all um, very much reflected in in the conservative party. Uh, I, I I think the leader, the leader probably like out of any decision that the party makes the leader holds about fifty percent of that decision um, and then caucus probably holds the other fifty percent so his his opinion is it is weighs a lot um, but it isn't the entirety of of the decision so we've seen where he's voted in one direction and and we've and the bulk the majority of the party has voted in the other direction uh, that said uh yeah we're we need we need all the votes we can get. I I think everybody needs to come together and and work at the local level. Um, join join your local EDA. Nominate good candidates to to run for us. Uh, we got 82 votes on the last pro life bill. We need 100 and 170 in order to pass legislation. Um, so let's let's work to get those that 170. Um, the the way to get 170 is to vote conservative. Uh, we're not going to get. Uh, we're not going to get liberals out unless uh, we all on the right band together and and work hard. Um, we don't mm-hmm. we don't get everything we want, but uh, slowly but surely we do get some some things. And so um, we went from sixty seven to eighty two in the last uh, in the last parliament. If we can go from eighty two to to one hundred and twenty uh, in the next election, that would be amazing. That still wouldn't be the one hundred and seventy that we need. And so uh, let's keep keep working on that. There's no doubt about it. Hmm. Uh, the other the other thing is like, hey, this is this is Canada and, and it's our country. Um, like just in terms of the economy and getting things built again and getting pipelines going like where I come from, the pipelines are our lifeline. If we can't get energy from Western Canada out to Eastern Canada, as the line five fiasco maybe has pointed out, um, we are, we're the party that wants to get uh, these major nation building projects going again, get some pipelines built, get the natural resource developed, um, all these kinds of things. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I
3: guess the, the fiscally conservative is the, is the easy argument to sell, I guess. Um, It's the, uh, the social issues that, that it becomes a problem, right? With, with the leader being, you know, pro-choice and then, you know, Trying to push, the, trying to push the the party in one direction, while you know uh, socially conservative um, citizens feel that they have a, a choice with you know the People's Party or um, the Christian Heritage Party or something like that. So I mean we've had that mm-hmm. conversation a whole bunch of times on the podcast. Just, you know, trying to understand like, do you vote on your principles exclusively, or do you try to vote to like you know. Like what you're saying, like you know, try to get somebody in to do something useful. So
1: it seems to be a, well, a little bit of a balance. Yeah. Um, just like make that consideration carefully. Harold Albrecht, who was who's a was a member of Parliament for Kitchener, um, hundred percent socially conservative, fully aligned with me on every issue. Um, he lost there. By 800 votes, and the PPC got 1600 votes. Right, like, uh, like where you live in the country and and what how you vote, uh, how you vote matters typically everywhere. And, and be considerate of how how you like consider how you vote. Um, particularly when John says like vote on the individual that you're voting for. That's that is the case. I tell everybody that you're not voting for Aaron O'Toole. You're voting for Arnold Viersen. Aaron Mm -hmm. happens to be the leader of our party, Um, but you're not voting for him. And that in Harold Albrecht's case, um, that was like a huge tragedy that uh, the liberal won there, um, the like very pro-choice liberal guy won there uh, over. And, and you can't ever say hundred percent. Oh, if the PPC vote had just gone his way, then he would have, he would have won because it it never quite adds up like that. But if you do add them up um, that, totally was the case
0: Hmm. yeah
1: yeah so it's it's
0: an i suppose you're kind of making it's a nuanced argument but it's uh use the practical the practical ends to justify your principles i suppose Mm -hmm. so if you want the pro-life if you want pro-life things to happen from your government one keep in mind it's gonna be a long game and two Keep in mind that, um, yeah, there's like going to be a lot of stuff that you're going to have to accept that you're not going to like in order to hopefully make some gains long term.
1: Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that like um, Aaron O'Toole is the leader of our party. There's no- nothing we can do about that. Um, there's no process. Like even if people don't like them, it's like guys get on board because there's there's no process to change that. And who else do you got? Like who do you want? Right. Like. There isn't, we don't have a process. Oh, we'll give you a list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no process to change it before the next election. the next election, it's going to be uh, Aaron O'Toole is the leader of our party and, and uh, Justin Trudeau is the le- leader of the Liberal Party. And uh, pick your poison. And it kind of it kind blows me away come. that
3: there's never been, I mean, the Conservative Party seems to have a way of getting their leaders out anyways. More maybe provincially yeah. than federally, but a little bit federally, I guess, but yeah, there, it surprises me that there's no way to, you know, have a
1: non-confidence in your leader vote or something like that. Oh, there, they're likely it there. There is. You can have yeah. a non-confidence in your leader vote. That totally is a thing. Um, but it it's
3: Who, uh, who's going to, that's do how it? you
1: just, des- that's how you destroy political parties. Watch the green party in action right yeah, now. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, like, um, yeah so it's uh yeah i'm yeah i'm i'm conservative i got vo- voted in under the conservative brand it's mm. it's the it's the party that allows us to attempt to make make government we are the government in waiting um and it, and we are a coalition party so we put together a a whole group, like mm. different groups of people from across canada that are interested in different things and we get together to try to win government yeah And yeah. that's, and that's, that's reality. And so, you yeah, know, that's just, interesting we look f- at.
3: I hadn't really thought we of, like, we just got
1: to fight for our part, our part, right?
3: Yeah. You know, often I think about it as like liberal people versus the conservative people, but I guess it's, it's not, yeah, it's a coalition, even, you know, in the sense that like the conservative party is not just conservative people. It's, it's people all coming together, different groups, different people from around the country who don't yeah. necessarily align at all and have different reasons for voting one way or the other. Yeah. But, then we're just trying to influence change, you know, using this, this group, you know, called the the party whatever. But
1: yeah, I guess, I guess you're- yeah, it's, it's like, it's always, it's always an interesting thing. It's like, well, why is the conservative party doing this? Well, because like 2000 people showed up and voted to go in this direction or a hundred thousand people voted and we got this leader out of it, right? Like right. The, the conservative party is its membership. Um, and, uh, it's as much, uh, that's what I try to tell everybody. It's as much as the leader as it is you, the Conservative Party member, right? Yeah. And it's a whole system of how do we come. And so, like, the mm. membership at this point has chosen Aaron O'Toole to be our our leader. And uh, we we need a leader to organize a whole bunch of things. There's no doubt. About, like, we can survive without a leader. Um, and, and to some degree, that a lot of attention gets focused in on the leader. But um, there are the... The Conservative Party, um, the leaders' vote when it comes to making decisions about where we go, is is one vote amongst uh, when it's in caucus, one of hundred and twenty, it, and when it's in the party, it's one in a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand, depending on the point in time we're at. Hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: So, so
1: you've you've tried
0: to make this case to you know lots of people in your life and, and the church community and whatnot. To I'm guessing if the frustration is carried out across the country, um. So like like the case you made it makes sense to me. I mean, I'm probably more of a practical person on that side of things, but you know, okay, so you got to you got to vote this way to get the principles you want enacted. Do you find or do you think it is harder for people who are of an older generation or older generations to accept that because they've seen this party move in such a uh yeah, I mean quote, progressive, I mean, I don't really know how it's forward thinking per se, but in a progressive move so that at one time that party represented a good chunk of their values. And now it's much, it's becoming less and less and less each election, it seems. Have you found more resistance to that in people and trying to convince them that way?
1: I don't know. Like in reality, the Conservative Party of Canada is very young, right? Like it's been around since 2004. Um, so prior to that, you had the PCs, which that's maybe a legacy party. But then, and in on like the other thing is the perspectives are so different from one part of the country to the other, right? So um, Ontario is never like they've always. You still have the Ontario PCs, right? Whereas um, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, you don't. A um, BC, you don't as well. Um, Manitoba we still the PCs, but here in Alberta, then we have we got the UCP. Um, but then federally, Alberta hasn't like, we had like the Canadian Alliance and reform parties for a long time. Um, learned for a long time, but that, that was kind of the demise of the PCs. And then so we had that and then that merge that ha- merger that happened in 2004. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I would say that like uh, older people to some degree get the whole split the vote thing probably better than younger people.
2: Because
1: um, they've they've they they've all been there. They tried the Reform Party, Canadian Alliance stuff, and basically handed the Liberals a majority for ten years. Right. Really, yeah. it wasn't until Stephen Harper got like built the party back together um, under the new Canadian uh, Conservative Party of Canada um, that we we're at. So, hmm. so in reality, we've we've had three leaders of this new Conservative Party. Um it's still a pretty young organization and and we're still learning we're still learning to operate i i to some degree i wish we when you look at the states the like who owns the republican party right like that that's a that's a big fight all the time as to who owns the party um but like when when trump was the leader of the was the president um he wasn't really the leader of the party so in the same way but when he was the president. Um, there was still like this idea that the Republican party was its own entity besides the president. Yeah. And just the same, the same reality is here that people don't necessarily feel it in the same way, but the, the conservative party is an entity beyond the people that, that are currently filling the positions. So, to mm. right. And mm. that's, that's the hope is that, and it, it's just that we have to, as socially conservative people, um, we're going to have to take our place in that party and, and make that party look more like what we want it to look like, and then make the country look more like what we want it to look like. That's, hmm. that's yeah. the challenge for all of us. Yep. Well, it doesn't sound
3: like you have a problem with your, uh, your particular writing. Plus you can just make the point that, uh, you know, your bill's going to go away if you go away. So, you know, that's, a, <laughs> that's an easy win in Peace River Westlock, but, uh, And I'm sure there's a lot of easy win seats, but uh, it's the tough ones, especially around our area, like Hamilton, Toronto. And, you know, that's going to make the
1: decision, I guess, but um, yeah. yeah, Like to some degree, we've never, we've never tried it, right. That's the um, we've never tried to run a SOCON campaign yet. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, Andrew Shear was a SOCON leader, but I don't, we didn't really run on the SoCon campaign, uh, like a f- pro family, family first. Um, that's kind of what my idea would be of a, um, yeah, the what a SoCon campaign would look like, so to speak, right? So that's uh, yeah. We'll we'll see. We'll see what that. Um, we got to we're gonna have to work harder to to um, because we we like. Uh, Andrew Shear was accused of being a SoCon, and that was why we didn't win government uh, under him. And so that, to some degree, that's the Aaron. Aaron is the ying to his yang, or the mm. just the pendulum swinging me in the other direction. Right? It was like, well, we tried SoCon leader, that didn't work, so now we got to try someone who's not a SoCon leader, and and see if that works. And if it does work, then all will be forgiven, I'm sure. Right? If Justin Trudeau is no longer the prime minister after the election. Um, yep. There will be rejoicing in the streets, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whoa, dude.
0: Do you want? I was thinking we should ask him about the. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we got started about uh, you did this interview on this this American show called Cross Politic back in the spring. And I was wondering if you wanted just sweater, already. Yeah, no, you can see just, it. Going yeah. like Oh no, <laughs> the nightmares are coming back. <clears throat> yeah. No, so that was yeah. I mean, that was obviously during the heat of COVID and stuff. So you guys yeah. have. If I'm not mistaken, just recently, potentially today, pretty much got rid of all the COVID stuff now, it like, like no in, quarantine
1: or anything. Yeah. Jul- July first, I thought we got. Yeah, maybe but maybe there's something else that happened on there was uh, August first, but July first, we like no more no more mass mandates. Go to church with everybody again. Yeah, Earl's yeah. uh, writings like they don't even know what the laws are up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah. It, it, We've we've forgotten that COVID exists. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, oh, that's we've, nice. we've had a that few visitors good. out from Ontario, and they're like, "Oh man, this is crazy." Well, we like, might be here next to. <laughs> <two>. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm, okay. com- I'm coming out there in a week or so. So oh, yeah, right, oh, yeah, good. going to the province. Yeah, yeah.
1: Anyways, but okay. I, so I like, apparently in the city. So I live way out in the sticks for everybody's uh, information, but if apparently <laughs> in the city, you'll still see. Uh, quite a few people masked up but out here you're hard pressed to find anybody wearing a mask anymore yeah um and yeah we're full full like there's no restrictions on church at all like yeah the, we're all back in church doing our thing so so okay yeah. so
0: but on the show you were getting some heat for uh defending uh jason County, the premier and so i don't know yeah Maybe I'll just I'll just open the floor and say like, what did you think of that interview? Do you still kind of agree with your positions that you laid forth there, or do you want to clarify anything? You know, now looking back on a couple months later.
1: Yeah, I, I would. Um, fundamentally, though, know, the whole thing is is like, who do we got? Like, Jason Kenny. I supported Jason Kenny for the leadership, uh, uh, and and I helped put the parties back together. Um, our, my church, our own church community got fairly engaged in all of that. And to throw all of that effort away, um, because we don't agree with Jason Kenny's decisions on a bunch of this stuff. Um, I like, okay, fine. We can do that. But who's your guy, right? Mr. Coates, are you going to be running for premier? And, and I, he, and he said he wasn't running for premier. Well, you just stepped into like the giant political arena uh on this whole covid stuff because this is the covid stuff is very political there's no doubt about that um and here in Alberta which those Americans don't understand at all is <laughs> like healthcare and the public sector unions engaged in healthcare uh are massively powerful uh organizations here right mm. and and so i don't know I don't know um all the pressure that Jason Kenney was under, but um that that is a reality that that he had to deal with, and he and he dealt with it in the way that he did deal with it, um of which I know Jason Kenney reasonably well as a person, and I think that he makes he would make decisions similarly to what I would make, and so i I think that this decisions he made are probably the ones that I would be making. Uh the other thing, I guess, the the thing that probably has changed the most since I did that interview is my home community got COVID. Nice. Uh, so up until that point, like when when I did that interview, we thought we were Teflon. Uh, <laughs> like COVID was just this thing that happened in the cities and everything like that, right? Yeah. And then we got COVID in our community, and it spread like wildfire. And Like we, I go to church with 260 people and three of them ended up in the hospital with COVID in like a two week period. And so suddenly it became fairly real. So um, that, that's changed my perspective a little bit on it. Like, like COVID is the province with our public health care system, the province couldn't handle one in a hundred people ending up in the hospital. If we all got sick in a moment kind of thing,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: 40,000 people showing up at the hospital. When we have 400 of like a grant, we have 200 ICU beds, uh, at one any given time, and we can expand that up to 400 and some. Uh, we've got eight, eight thousand hospital beds, um, 40,000 people showing up, which is if our community that helped true across one in a hundred getting having to go to the hospital, um, eight thousand beds wouldn't handle 40,000 people showing up. And so, if that's the calculation that Jason's making, um, I, I I have more respect for him today than now than I did, then hmm. so to speak. So, yeah, I guess the but yeah the host of just, that
3: show, you know, they came down hard. I guess because there's a bit of a we've been kind of talking about this the American mindset too, because the Americans they seem like the host of that show at least they seemed you know very unwilling to give up freedom because you know that's just an American thing. And arguably, it's a Canadian thing, but we seem more easily ready to give up something for the the greater good. You know, we're like, I guess, stereotypically, we're like the apology culture, you know,
1: like we love to say sorry to
3: other people. But is there?
1: Yeah. Did you get a feeling for that? We're like, like, we we value order over liberty a little bit more.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Is that... I mean, that's obviously played into this whole thing, but is that, um, is that something that you've, you've seen or reflected on after talking to those guys? Like, you know, there was, uh, they were very, uh, I don't know what you call it, like pushy in, in their, you know, approach to getting you to, you know, stand up for the freedoms that they believe people should have. So.
1: Yeah. But like, I I was trying to explain to them that, like, the context is so much different. Right. Mm. And, and the tactics of the situation are are what they are like, like it's it's difficult from afar. Um, the what's interesting is uh, Doug Wilson, who they're like quite attached to. And I read his blog sometimes. Um, they uh, he has a story about uh, buying pornography at the local gas or buying gas at the local local gas station that if there's two gas stations in your small town, and one sells pornography and the other one doesn't, you should always buy, you, we, we can have a, a tactic of only buying gas from the gas station that doesn't sell porn, right? But he said mm-hmm. there's, there's no, uh, there's nothing immoral about when you go to the city, just buying gas from whichever gas station you come across there, whether mm-hmm. they sell porn or not. Because tactically in the city, you can't have a great effect on buying gas from the gas station that sells doesn't sell porn versus the one that does because a, you don't know. And, and B, there's lots of gas stations to choose from. Mm. So it's a tactic that works in a small town with two gas stations that doesn't necessarily work. And it's not a, it's not a moral judgment that you can transfer from it's you're not making a moral judgment. It's a tactical judgment. And that's Mm. kind of what I was trying to communicate to, to these guys as well is that like in one place, something that, politically works in one place won't necessarily politically work in the other place. And the politics of the situation are, is that if, if it's not Jason Kenny, then it's the NDP. Right. Um, which if you look at uh, BC where they had the NDP, they, they hadn't gone to church in over a year, right? Like, like 10 people in church only to like manage the sound system and, r- and run the, the organ and, mm. this, and do the video recording essentially right for over a year whereas here in Alberta we were much more opened up and so when you compared Alberta to the rest of the country it was the smell of freedom but when you compared it to Moscow Idaho it wasn't necessarily the same right so that mm-hmm. was my my attempt to get that across to them is like tactically it's it's a dumb idea to go to war with with our conservative premier when doing that will only guarantee we get the the NDP, which right. will not be, yeah. which is, which are the socialists, which um, <laughs> yeah. they, they can't imagine a socialist government, right? Like yeah, yeah. if you can, if you, in, in American politics, if you can brand somebody as a socialist, they're pretty much done. Like you yeah. can't get elected in the For United now. States as being a socialist. <laughs> yeah. seems but. to be a more
0: popular word lately, but so- <laughs> So tactically, yeah, that makes sense. Your argument, like there, it's going to be tactically different because there's two different political climates. And then also yeah. you add on to the reality of, okay, so our health system is very much uh, entwined with our government and we publicly fund that. So that's mm-hmm. a consideration the government has to make.
1: So, And then you have the, the, the healthcare union or like the public sector unions, which yeah, that would be like part of the campaign against Jason Kenney like endlessly.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they might, you could make the argument that they're against him either way. So, I mean, he's kind of whatever, but that's (laughs) part of the political context. Sure. So
1: do you think, but but AHS AHS and the, is the ones putting up the fences around the churches, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I realize that, but like, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, obviously as premier, there's influence you can have to, to make sure that doesn't happen or to, to reduce it. But either way, do you think they have um they're just coming from their perspective and their political climate you wouldn't say they have biblically the upper hand because that seemed to be the case they were making that like no like this is right like we're acting for the bible and like you're you're mistaken because you're letting your political leanings get in front of your biblical values
1: yeah i i guess i would say that um and that's the argument i made as well that they they have no jurisdiction over me they're not my elder they're not my they're they're not my church leadership yeah um right like that that comes back to again the local church and what the consistory is the consistory calling me to church or is the consistory not calling me to church that sort of thing
2: yeah yeah Um, Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
1: and and i also would say that i what disturbed me the most i guess about all of this is a picture of uh Derek Sloan and um, Hill—is it Hillier or Andy right? Hillier? Yeah, Randy Hillier. Yeah, is standing up on a tr- at the front of the church at a church service, right? Like you've just turned that church service into a political rally.
2: Yeah, mm.
1: yeah, right. And that's—I don't want—I don't like that either. That's the like I don't—I don't want the church to be used as a political weapon, and that's yeah. what they were—that's what they're were doing at that point. Like when you're when you are putting your politicians up on the pulpit, um, over around, over COVID, you're now turning your church service into a political rally. Right. And that, that's not what we ought to be doing. We shouldn't be using the church as a political club. Yeah. That's what we appreciate. Aaron Rock said that when he was on our podcast. And he said like,
3: he can't, he wouldn't invite his MP to or his MPP to, to talk at, at the church because it's not, it's not a platform for that. So, if, if yeah. they were to do something like that, use the venue, then it would have to give everyone equal say just to, you know, because they don't want to, you know, yeah. even though they, you know, it's everyone knows they're leaning one way politically or the other way, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want to
1: be that, that voice, I guess. But yeah. So, and there's a, there's a line to be walked there. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: About like, because I also, I also think that the church as in, like the people that go to church um, ought to be political, right? Like they ought to think about um, that. This is one of the things that has happened over over time is that um, the church has always been, oh, we are nonpartisan. We're nonpartisan. And people have interpreted that to mean Your vote doesn't matter, hmm. right? And no, your vote does matter and who you vote for does matter. And so, well, I don't think it should be coming off the pulpit that you should vote for the conservatives. I do think that perhaps this should be coming off the pulpit, that you shouldn't be voting for people that support abortion. Yeah. Like your vote, your vote matters. We're not going to get partisan. We're not going to say you should vote for this party or that party. But when you do vote, um, like freedom of religion, being pro-life, those kinds of things are important with your vote and your vote matters. Like go out and vote for (laughs) participating in voting. Um, this is just another like sphere of your life that you have to keep in order. Your, your politics has to be in order. Your marriage has to be in order. Your health has to be in order. Your finances have to be in order. Your politics have to be in order. It's not something Hmm. you can just abandon. That's an interesting point. And and that, and that, I guess is a little bit frustrating for me watching, uh, both Coates and perhaps Mr. Rock, although I don't know him as well, is just that, um, I, I, I said like politics is like breathing when everything's working well. Uh, you don't notice it um, when it becomes a problem. When you start to notice that you need help breathing, um, it's often a little bit too late to to do something about it, right? Mm. And that's essentially where we're at today: is that just um, the secularists have convinced Christians that they don't belong in politics, and so they've kind of just taken their hands off and and went and did their own thing. And now suddenly, politics is interested in Christians. And they're going like, "Whoa, wait, what's going on?" But there isn't a Christian to be found in any position of power in, in politics. Essentially, right? Mm. That's like we've we've abandoned that sphere for, uh, or we've been convinced by the secularists that our faith has nothing to say about public administration. That mm. now suddenly uh, here we are being the being the in the spotlight of politics. So right. to speak. So, That's yeah, interesting. Like like well, coats I don't think had ever considered politics before. And Aaron Rock admitted that right in one of his podcasts there that, that he never really followed politics or considered it um, until mm. politics was trying to shut his church down. So to speak.
3: Yeah. Individually though, it, it's interesting that like, I, yeah, I don't really think about that. Like I think about my, my role as a citizen, you know, to vote and to, to stay informed and that kind of thing. And I guess that's just uh, maybe because I'm interested in it a little bit, but, we don't hear that off our pulpits i think you're right that, like we don't really talk about that in our church it's almost like a it's a subject that no one really wants to touch that, like you know don't tell me which way to vote on whatever but there's there you're right there's like issues that you know it matters that we we talk about everyone staying informed and, and active and there are yeah. issues that actually do matter like like abortion like you you just can't yeah. vote one way or or, out, or the other on that. Like so yeah maybe like i mean that's just an encouragement like i'd love to see it preached off the pulpit more often that you know just just from the principled end of it um to mm -hmm. help us to understand that because i don't think that you know i
0: definitely don't think about like that yeah actually related Related to that um we could sneak this question in because we're yeah we've got about like seven minutes or eight minutes left here if we want to do an hour and a half um we didn't touch about uh talk about residential schools yet but i did put that on the outline you've probably obviously had some interaction with this stuff. I know there's, uh, you have some, I was a substantial indigenous population within your writing as well, and you, uh, you're involved still in, uh, indigenous and Northern affairs committee as well, I believe that's correct. Yep. Yep. So, um, going back to my uh, days in the office, there taking notes and such, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, so how's that relationship been for you dealing with in your indigenous constituents and managing church uh you know the obviously there's a lot of backlash to when these the mass graves came out yada 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 the whole history of residential schools how can the church be a part of a solution uh going forward oh yeah, yeah or maybe I i'll haven't... back it up you can think about that yeah. one, but oh, then should... answer answer like <laughs> what, what kind of conversations have you been having with fellow christians and with indigenous constituents as well
1: yeah so uh there is, I think, um, formerly six residential schools in my riding. I 14 First Nations and three Métis settlements. Um, and the, 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 the crux of the matter for, of it for me is, is that this was a massive overreach by the government. Um, children belong to their parents, not to the government. And that's uh, um, that was a big failure of that. And... Uh, the the government needed people to run these schools and and found in in my area, it was orders of nuns that actually ran the schools. I think so uh, Anglican and and Roman Catholic nuns ran ran the schools um, so that uh, that's like the church connection on it. Now, the I think we're at 34 schools or 34 churches now lit on fire or burnt down across the country like. That, that's outrageous, the, the fact that like if if one uh, mosque or synagogue gets spray painted, it's national news for weeks on end. Uh, Thirty four churches have been lit on fire and it's hardly showed up at all. And the prime minister seems odious to condemn this even. Um, right. That's a, a major challenge. Uh, which I guess speaks to the political power that the church has at this point, which is virtually nothing. Um, but uh, the there is there is lots of opportunity in uh, the reconciliation process, but also just around um, the church has a lot to offer in terms of putting family back together, right? Like the family structure in these communities has been destroyed through residential schools. There's no um, an entire generation grew up, in a odd family situation because they were torn off and went to residential school for a number of years, uh, severing their connection to their, their nuclear family, so to speak. And they come back and, uh, who knows what happened to them at the residential school, but even, even if nothing happened to them, um, their whole idea of how family ought to work and operate and what it, means to eat around a dinner table at night and that kind of stuff. It doesn't, that that's all broken mm. and gone. Right. And so there's huge, huge opportunities for the church to, to be a witness in those communities, but also just to help put family back together. Like like, like uh, foster parents, that sort of thing. There's that too, but yeah, just be an example. Um, befriend these people. Uh, yeah. In, in many cases, they, okay. they just, they just need uh yeah, they they need a, a stable environment again, right? That's uh, the st- instability on reserves is immense. Uh, mm-hmm. but- yeah,
0: actually, well, our, our, our friend Jonathan the uh, Marin had a good article on that too. He had an interview with um, I forget the fellow's name again, but he was a Indigenous guy who had gone through the reserve system. I believe he's like a Baptist minister now or something. And okay. he had a lot of quotes from him in it. But basically, it was to consider it from. Like as, as, you know, you guys are parents, like as Mm. Christian parents, whatever, like if the government came in and took your kids and did that to your families, like think of the impact that would have and how, you know, angry and, you know, sad and whatever that would make you like, that's, it's a traumatic thing. So Mm. I think, yeah, just, just to have some understanding in that front and to work together to hopefully, like you say, help build up family. There's a, a lot of good the church can offer to to make up for the bad rap that it has, you know, fairly or unfairly. I mean, that yeah. can be discussed it's, forever.
1: It's also just like interesting is that don't don't necessarily believe the mainstream narrative on this, right? Like mm. um many of the First Nations in my my area are Christians, right? Like the, even the yeah. even the, the entire band um is is Christian. That's like the church is a big part of them of what they do. So yeah. Um so that like when, when the church buildings were being burnt and things like that, um, we got quotes from, from locals who are extremely disturbed by the burning down of churches. Right. They're like, particularly (laughs) some of these churches are right on the reserve, right. And they're being burnt down. Yeah. And it's like, this is our church. Like how, how, who's burning this down. And it's the, it doesn't seem like the pictures that have come out of the people that are burning the churches down. Um, doesn't appear that it's indigenous people burning the churches down no no
0: yeah yeah all right i got one random question i just put Mm -hmm. it on the instagram stories just to have people send some stuff in but um uh our mutual friend Alyssa galove sent in this picture she said um you gotta ask arnold uh how did his team place during his outhouse race back in the day i'll show the camera uh this picture oh you see this here yeah we yeah we lost oh yeah (laughs) What was yeah. all that? Uh, what was the story there? Because we, we got, should, we got should this, we make that our thumbnail for we, this episode? We got this. Yeah, we might do it. We got this picture uh, here. Arnold's leaning. I, I against don't know, I don't
1: even know anymore if it's up or not. But that picture is hanging in our local restaurant here in Newlandia. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, so when Nerlandia turned 100 years old back in 2012, we uh, we. That one of the events that happened there was an outhouse race, and uh, so you had to have somebody sitting in the outhouse, and then you had to have the rest of your team pushing the outhouse. Yeah. And then there was a a course that we had to run through, and I had that old outhouse was like, yeah, uh, in the trees at my house there. Yeah. And it's a legit outhouse. Like. Yeah. And we our team was called Bin Pooped In. <laughs> we were pretty sure that it's like a real live outhouse there. Yeah, and so, but the thing was like two thousand pounds or something like oh, that. Like, yeah. re- I so I had a minivan <laughs> axle. We put that underneath there, and then we lost so terribly because other people like built theirs out of cardboard and stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah, so theirs yeah. were like like seven pound outhouse, and ours was massive. Were so, you the guy sitting in it, or did you have to push? Yeah, yeah, I was sitting in it, and I was <laughs> dropping <laughs> potatoes and toilet paper down the hole as they were running along. <laughs> so and then uh uh but then like we knew we were gonna lose even before we started so we just went for entertainment value so we dressed up like it was a hundred years ago or whatever and then nice and then uh they ran for about 50 yards or so and then they just parked the thing and they all sat on the big handle that we had there and they lit a cigarette so that was so, yeah, we, we lost terribly, but we were the crowd favorite. There was no doubt about that. <laughs> Lots of fun
3: in the promised land, you
2: know? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I
3: don't know whose idea it was to have an outhouse race, but it was a good idea. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. Good fun. Well, good stuff.
3: Anything else you got, Ty? No. Just yeah. appreciate you coming on. I know this, hey, uh, our no. Zoom never Thanks really cooperates, me. but uh, we appreciate you joining us and uh, giving us some insight into what it's like to be an MP. Hopefully people are inspired yeah. by it and then also encouraged to, you know,
1: get out and vote and get involved in politics. So, yeah, Definitely. well, there's uh, there's a, a large uh, reform community in uh, Ontario there. So we've got uh, reform MPs coming out of Alberta and BC. So I'm I'm just waiting for you guys to get your act together over there. Yeah, it's we're got- waiting for our writings to get split up. Then yeah, yeah. Throw, oh, then okay. we're throwing well, Lucas to 20- the bowl.
3: 2023.
1: There you go. 2023. <laughs> 2023. Yeah, yeah. 2023. Or later yeah. this year. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, 2023 is when the redistricting happens. Oh, so, there you go. So, I think Ontario, Ontario will get a couple of new seats for sure. It has okay, to be somewhere no, that lucas has lived which is most of everywhere but i don't want to
0: run no, <laughs> not
3: for now to give it some good he's been okay on this years. podcast too long it's been a he's, year he's not he's not old enough you know yeah, like yeah.
0: same same thing i had you know yeah, yeah. he said too it's many honest things
3: me. on this podcast to be able to run now. <laughs> that's probably true. just dig up the dirt real quick so yeah. oh boy that's it all right okay thanks gentlemen good stuff cool. thanks thanks folks. arnold thanks
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. You can send us your feedback by emailing us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. You can find us on social media by looking for the handle reformedrealtalk. You can find us online by going to realtalkpodcast.ca. We look forward to your feedback as that's what helps us grow and improve as podcasters. Real Talk is produced by myself, Lucas Holpluer, Tyler Vanderwood, and Tim Van Wunenberg. The theme music was created by Calvin Hutton. The table and cabinet behind me were made by Ethan Vanderwood of Eureka Woods. And finally, this sign in the studio was made by Zebra Signs. That's it for now, folks. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.